Well, good morning. Hope you all are doing well. And uh, as Jason mentioned, we're all well fed by now, hopefully. Maybe you've got a few Thanksgivings left to go, but on to Christmas for sure. I mean, if you've turned on the radio, you've definitely come across the Christmas songs, and maybe you've already been making your preparations for that, uh, getting the tree up and are planning to do the tree and the gatherings. Um, if you're wondering what's going on, I, I hung out with my nieces and nephews, and uh, they shared their germs with me, so I've got a cool smoky voice for you this morning. Um, I promise you I did not take up the habit, but uh, I may sound like I did, so I apologize. Um, Anyway, uh, anybody here willing to admit that growing up, you did not excel in everything you did? <clears throat> yeah? Uh, anybody part of the, the team, uh, you were part of the team, whatever it was, that you may or may not have been the child for the reason they invented the rule that every kid has to play? Anybody can relate to that? I, I may have been that kid. Um, I may have been that kid that, you know, the coach had to follow the rule that in order every kid on the team had to have equal playing time. Um, you know, growing up, I was always involved in sports uh, since I was a little kid, whether it be baseball, basketball, football, wrestling, band, drama, always involved, um, but not always excelling. Um, I was a decent kid, a t-ball player. You know, uh, baseball, decent t-ball player. I mean, that was kind of the best part because, you know, you just hit the ball that was stationary and then you ran the bases. And most of the time you were playing against other kids who couldn't really throw the ball accurately. And so the only fear you had was getting hit by somebody else's ball coming at you because they couldn't throw in the right spot. Um, but as I got older in baseball, I became very fearful of uh, my own friends throwing the pitch. Um, so I would lock up and that kind of ended my baseball career. But I was that kid on the team that had to play every other inning. Uh, and so the coach would stick me out in right field and told me to stay put, do not move and pay attention. You know, just keep your eye on the batter. And rarely did a ball come my way out in right field. I can only remember one or two times growing up where a ball was hit to right field and, and I was overwhelmed with what to do um, besides try to get the ball. I remember in basketball, um, I wasn't the fastest kid. I wasn't the tallest kid. I was... Uh, vertically challenged in a way. And so I couldn't move around in the on the court very well. I didn't have a great shot. Um, I couldn't shoot from very far off. And so I was a kid on the team to which the coach would put me in every other quarter and would tell me, to, here's your spot. Stay in that spot. When we have the ball, that's where you go. And this is the guy you're guarding. And when they come to your spot, make sure your hands go up. Uh, the coach could always count on me in basketball to never foul out. I was not the aggressive kid. I averaged two points a season. Um, and I was very excited when I got my two points because I accomplished my goal and all I could only get better for the rest of the season. Um, but I can remember being on one particular team. We never lost. And it wasn't because of me. Um, we had a lot of other uh, gifted kids on our team, but I got to play and I got to be a part of that team. And, and uh, I remember our coach, uh, one particular game, our entire team, except for me and two other people, had fouled out. And in the two years, we had yet, let, yet to lose a game. And so the coach had to put me in in the fourth quarter. I, I mean, there's no, I mean, it was either five on two or five on three. So I was a body, so you go in. 
In the very last couple seconds of the game, we were only up by two, but we had the ball and we had to pass in the ball. Now, I wasn't the fastest one on the team, so the coach said, here's the plan. You're going to get the basketball. Check. You're going to stand underneath the goal. Check. You're going to slap the ball. Okay? When you slap the ball, your teammates are going to move. When they get open, throw in the ball, and we'll run out the clock. Simple game plan. All right, so I got the ball, referee handed me the ball. I was standing under the, court, under the basketball goal on the end line. I looked at my two teammates, and I looked at the other five opponents, and I watched them as they ran around, and I forgot the one important part of my plan, and that was to slap the ball. Fortunately, my coach had a son who yelled very violently at me. And so I threw the ball at him as hard as I could. He caught it, and we won the game. It was the best pass in basketball history because you won the game. It didn't take a shot, a home run. I mean, I I was the hero of the game. Um, I was also that player on the basketball team, which coach would tell me when all of our other team was in foul trouble, you go grab the person with the ball. And so because I saved my fouls, you know, they were precious to me. Um, So I wasn't aggressive. But the thing is, is I played baseball and played basketball, and as you probably can relate, there are things in life that you you don't excel at. Um, We kind of shy away from those things that we don't excel at, that we're not very good at. They make us uncomfortable, and we kind of go float towards the things that we are good at or we feel more confident in. The issue that, that comes up is when we do that in the Christian life. It's because a lot of us feel maybe incompetent, maybe that we don't have certain strengths that other people have, maybe that we aren't qualified. And so we have this mindset because we've been brought up in that, that the good players play and the bad players get stuck in the game because they have to play. But that's not the way God works. In our series with Joshua, Journey into Promise, for the next three weeks, it's like a series within a series. We're going to be focusing on our part of the promise. And to start off this series this morning, we're going to be giving, I'm going to be giving you all some tools, some things that you can begin to apply and begin to practice for the next several weeks as we prepare for the way God wants to use each and every one of his children for the sake of his promise. And to understand this, the first thing we understand is God does not work on our evaluation methods. We will never be the most important person in the kingdom of God. You will never be the most important person in the kingdom of God. That's reserved for Jesus Christ. So you you can always, you can just let that go. I don't have to pretend, I don't have to try, I don't have to work to to come across as the most important person in this room and in this family, because that's Jesus. God also doesn't want us to think that it is something that we are empowered to do, because we do not have the power or ability to do what God needs us to do. That is only through the Holy Spirit inside of us which enables us to do what God wants us to do as a part of his promise. 
And so it's all off us. And so we got to stop evaluating and grading ourselves based on, well, you know, I'm not called to do that or I can't do that. That's not how God works. Because God has given each one of his children the Holy Spirit. He's given every individual the, the access of salvation and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. All we have to do is understand our part in the promise is to become available. That's what God wants from you. He wants you to be available to his promise. Let's read in Joshua chapter 1. And like I said, this is the next couple of weeks are going to kind of be a series within the series is we're going to be focusing on our part of the promise. And this morning, I really want us to gather some tools so we can begin to be prepared for the things we're going to talk about the next several weeks. And some of these things you may have heard before, some of these things you may be fully aware of, but some of these things you just may need the reminder of to get back into it. So let's just read in verse 1 through 9 of Joshua chapter 1, and then we'll walk, in, walk through this for a second. Well, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 6. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Just to kind of get this idea of not feeling like we have to be the most important. Just go back to verse 1 here for a second. The book we're going out of is a book called Joshua. But if you were to read verse 1... Who would seem to be the most important individual in this book? Moses. Moses gets the title, Moses, the servant of the Lord. Joshua, well, he's the son of Nun. He's Moses' assistant. Even the book that carries the man's name, which we're focusing on, which is going to be the individual to lead God's people into the promised land, the opening of the book doesn't even point to Joshua being the predominant figure. Matter of fact, even Moses isn't, because who is Moses serving? God, the Lord. He is owned by God. He is a slave to God. That's what the word servant means. And so they're not even the most important figure. It is the Lord. And so when it comes to our part and what God wants to do through us, we have to understand, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about what I can bring to the table. It's not about what I think I can do. It's not about how good I think I am or how smart I think I am or even the abilities I think I have. 
It is about God and what God wants to accomplish through me by the power he has given me through his spirit. God comes to Joshua in this moment just to remind him what has happened, but also remind him that the promise of God still stands. These people aren't just to be brought to the edge of the Jordan River, but God's plan is that they go into the promised land. It's a land that God promised Abraham centuries and generations before Moses and Joshua even breathed the breath of life. He says, I'm taking you there. But at the same time, even though I'm taking you there, Joshua, you have a role to play in this. And not only do you have a role to play in this part, in this promise, but the people of Israel have a role to play in the promise that I have laid before you. Not only do the people of Israel have a part, but the people who are already dwelling in the land have had a part to play in this promise. So we need to understand that God has invited us all, he has empowered us all, and he has revealed to us all that we are to be a part of his promise. We are all to play a part. And the beauty of being a part of God's promise is there is nobody on God's team which God feels like he has to put in. There is no rule when it comes to the kingdom of God that you have to have a certain time to be a part of his promise. You have to have your inning or your quarter According to the word of God, all of us have a part in what God wants to do because the Bible reveals it is through the people of God to which God wants to accomplish his plan. Let's understand that for a moment. We worship the God who controls all things, created all things, spoke all things into being, the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God who can do anything, owns everything. And yet this God, who can do anything, owns anything, everything, wants to use you and me to be a part of what he wants to accomplish into eternity. And that's part of the invitation of salvation, is that God has invited us to be a part of the winning team as we march to victory and as we march to glory, God says, I'm putting you in the game. I want to use you because you bring something to my family no one else can bring. So we all have a part to play. And what we see here in Joshua and what we're going to begin to unpack in the next several weeks, beginning there in verse 6 and running through verse 9, is what God tells Joshua to be focusing on in his part of the promise. He does not tell Joshua and he does not tell Israel to focus on the people already living there. He does not tell Joshua and he does not tell Israel to focus on the land itself. Instead, their part of the promise and how this begins in understanding our part of God's promise that he wants to do with us in 2018 begins in our personal relationship and our personal pursuit of God. See what he tells Joshua there. Be strong and courageous, verse 7 being careful to do according to all the law, and the law would be the word of God, what we would refer to today as the Bible, all that Moses, my servant, commanded you, and do not turn from it to the right or left, that you may have good success wherever you go. God wants his people to be successful. He wants his people to be 
to be prosperous in a part of his promise. Now, prosperity does not mean worldly wealth. That is not what God is promising his people. He's promising them to be in his presence in the place where he desires them to be and so that all the people will look upon them and know that he is the one true God. In order for them to do that, it had nothing to do with the battles that came ahead. It had nothing to do with the, the journey ahead. It all had to do with where they were with God at that moment and their personal relationship with him and their personal pursuit of him. And I think we need to understand this in the realm of Christianity. You are not born into Christianity. You may be American, but that doesn't make you Christian. Matter of fact, it could be easily said that America is not so much a Christian nation anymore. We are a pluralist religious nation. Everyone's accepted. Everyone has a way to God, and it all goes to the same God. That's not Christianity. Jesus said very clearly, no one comes to the Father except through me. And just because you come to church doesn't mean you're Christian. You're not born into this. This is not a bragging right. It is about a re relationship with God, and it has to be personal. Look at it in the terms of like a marriage, which Jesus calls the church his bride. I am now in a covenant relationship with God like a marriage. And as people see me, they should see my husband. They should see Jesus. And so it's not about whether mom or dad know Jesus. It's not about whether mom or dad are pursuing after Jesus. Am I? Am I in love with this Savior? Am I in love with this God who loves me? And am I seeking to know him more? Am I seeking to know his word? I love what God does here to Joshua and something we fit on the last several weeks. Is God doesn't come to Joshua and ask him for his resume. He knows exactly who he is. And he doesn't tell Joshua that the task or the promise of the head is going to be based upon his ability or his powers or his knowledge or his experiences. God's plan for Joshua and the Israelites has nothing to do with what they think they've done or what they think they can do. It is all about them remaining attached, abiding, remaining with God. Jesus says in the gospel that he is the vine and we are the branches. And apart from him, we can bear no fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing, nothing. And so it is critical for us as individuals that I remain attached to God. But here's the thing. I've learned in my time in ministry, a lot of times we come to church and we do all the Christian stuff, which is good. We should have a longing for that as God's people. But we really have no clue on where to even start in this personal relationship with God. So everybody, if you, this, this is one of the few times I'll tell you to do it. Uh, there it is. I knew, I, too many pockets. Bring out your wonderful, handy-dandy smartphone, tablet, except for you, Richard, you're disqualified. You can flip it at me, but only the phone. Only flip the phone, Richard. Okay, no, all right. Handy-dandy smartphone, okay. On your handy-dandy smartphone, I'm giving you full permission to use this in church. This is the only, the only time, uh, unless you're reading the Bible. Um, you can go to your app store, and some of y'all may have this on there. 
There's an app called the YouVersion Bible app, okay? Some of y'all may already have this, which is great. But here's the thing. If you got it, the challenge this morning is start using it. And, and you don't need the YouVersion Bible app in order to get into the Bible, but this is such an easy tool because you download it onto your phone, and in this app, there are Bible reading plans. There are devotionals. You can pick topics if you want to learn more about what God says about your marriage or about a relationship or how to be a father or a mother or how to be a, a, a godly family or how to handle your finances or, or how to be involved in, in the church and how to invest in, in the kingdom of God, whatever your topic could be, you can go into this app, you can pick the topic, you can click start, start that, that plan, and then every single day for a period of time, you can, you can set notifications. It'll say you need to read this in your app and you can have your devotional, your personal pursuit of God to which your smartphone will say, hey, dummy, read me. And you'll, you'll start reading the word of God and what some people have said about the word of God in your devotional, okay? It is, we are without excuse in 2018 to not be pursuing after God in a personal relationship. There really is no excuse, except we're just lazy. Ouch. But, I mean, it's the truth. How many here own, not, not a smartphone, but just own a Bible? How many here say, I own numerous Bibles? We're without excuse. There's no reason we as God's people should not be pursuing after the God who loved us and saved us, except that we're just simply lazy. We're not making the time to do it. So the challenge this morning is we, we continue in the series. Don't, don't, don't make it a New Year's resolution. Let's start now. Let's start right now. I'm going to start the new year already on the right foot because I'm going to start the end of 2018 pursuing after God. I'm going to set up a plan. And there, I, I'm doing, a, my, my one I'm doing right now is the chronological reading plan. And so basically it's reading the Bible, how it should be chronologically put because the Bible is not put in chronological order, meaning that the time frames are a little bit off. If you read Genesis, Revelation, it wouldn't go in consecutive time, which if you've ever done that, you may be reason why you're kind of confused on what's going on, okay? And so I, I picked a chronological plan, which would go over the course of a year, but here's the thing. You could take that as a challenge. I can read it quicker than a year. And you can do it. But go and pick a plan. If you don't do one right this moment, because now, now you've got to put your phones away. <laughs> Just kidding. You... Find one this afternoon. Maybe find one with your, your spouse and say, hey, let's do this together. Maybe you can find a plan with your kids. I mean, if you've got kids or teenagers, I mean, look at them. Putting away our... I mean, they've got phones. Do it with them. What a great way to not only you be personally pursuing after God, but to have your family now personally pursuing after God because God's promise to Joshua is that the road ahead is going to be tough, but if you keep your eyes on me, you're going to be successful. The end of this year is going to be tough. 2019 is going to be tough, but the promise of God is if we keep our eyes on him and we keep pursuing after him, we will find success. 
Doesn't mean it's going to go the way we think it should go all the time. But he does promise his success. The other thing Joshua is told to do, which we're going to dive in further in the next several weeks, is Joshua is commissioned by God to lead this people. He's to lead the people of God into God's promise. And the same promise we're given here this morning is that we are called to lead the people who are created in the image and likeness of God into the eternal promise of God, which means into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 20 and 19, go therefore and make disciples. This is all people. This isn't just the pastor's job or the minister's job or the pay salary's job or, or the lay leader's job. This is every individual who's confessed Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has now been commissioned and empowered by God to go and make disciples. You are to reproduce what you are. Now, the thing about making disciples is you cannot make a disciple if you are not first a disciple. And that's why it's so important for us to be pursuing after God in our personal relationship so then I can go and share how God is discipling me and make disciples of other people. The Bible also commands us in 1 Peter chapter 3 to honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And here's the thing. This message is not meant to empower you because God has already empowered you. This message is meant that we would turn our eyes and our focus back to what's really important because believe it or not, here in the next couple weeks, we're going to be distracted by that. We're going to be distracted about what this time of year is really about. We're going to be distracted about what's really important. And so as we prepare for that, as we prepare for the promise that God has for us, it's to turn our eyes and to refocus. God's will is not for you to have fun at your Christmas parties. It's not for you to find the ugliest sweater possible this year. God's will is that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. And that's how God wants to use you and me. That's our part in the promise. That as we go to these office parties, as we wear our ugly Christmas sweaters, whether knowingly or not, as we do these things, that God is using us to make disciples and being prepared to give an answer for the hope we have so that the people in our life can be a part of his promise as well. And that is for them to know him just as we have come to know him. It's also the heartbeat of Harvest Hill, which we're going to tackle here in a couple weeks too. That we meet Jesus we mature in our relationship with God, we be on ministry for the kingdom of God, and we go on mission by the power of the Spirit inside of us. And you might be thinking, because here's where people trip up. I will be in a personal relationship with God. I will go to Converge Weekend. I will go to conferences. I will go to meetings. I will go to Bible studies. I will read books on the Bible. I will read books about books on the Bible. I will do all of that in my personal relationship with God. But where we trip up most of the time is we fail to share what God is doing in our life. And a lot of times because we don't know how to even approach that. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't even know how to bring up subjects. So here you go. Bring out the handy-dandy smartphone again, part two. There are things you can download on this handy-dandy little thing that you can use to share your faith with people. Again, we are without excuse 
in our personal relationship with God and our personal proclamation of God. Let me give you just three that are excellent. You can write them down. You don't have to download them right now. Life in six words. If you've been here before, you've heard me do an invitation where I give the gospel. God creates a relationship with him. Our sin separates from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus Christ died and rose again. Eternal life means uh, or everyone who believes in this has given eternal life, and life eternal means we'll be with God now and forever. That's the gospel. That's what life in six words does, but it does it a lot slower and easier to understand. Another one is called the story. The story is a really cool app. You can also go on the website and you can place your relationship with God and it becomes a God's overall story to which you share with people. And here's the cool thing about the story is you and I don't even have to share it. I can just type in the link to the story I've produced on their website, send it out as a mass email because we love those. And I say, hey, watch this. And they'll see my story of how God has interacted in my life and impacted me and becomes a personal thing. And hopefully it brings up conversation that I can begin to share how I'm a part of God's promise and God wants that person to be a part of God's promise. Another one is called Life on Mission. It's also known as the, the three circles concept. Another easy format. Again, these are just means, okay? There's a lot of other ways out there you can do it, but I'm saying we've got resources that we are without excuse to not be sharing about our personal relationship with God. The only thing holding you back is Satan driving fear in your hearts to stay quiet. Let's be honest. Most of us don't share our faith because we are scared of what people may ask or what may, people may think or how we may put them off. But we're talking about eternal destinations. We're talking about heaven or hell. That, that's the only option. And there are people in your life right now that God has placed in your life not so you can have a, a nice little peer of group of friends or workers, but God has placed them purposely in your life so that you can share with them how you are a part of God's promise and how God wants them to be a part of God's promise. And so that, this understanding, it doesn't matter how young or old you are, male or female, it does not matter because we are all part of this. And we all play critical roles. The church in, in Corinth need to understand this. Paul says, you know, the weaker ones are just as important or more important. I mean, think about this. If you've got kids... And you, anybody ever gone church shopping? We can, it, it's confession day. Gone church shopping? If you're a parent, what is one thing you look for when you go into a church? Child care. You want to know that there's actually other kids here too. And they know how to take care of those kids. If you got parents of teenagers, you want to know that there's other teenagers and that there's somebody who's pouring into those teenagers' life. You see, we don't just shove kids in children's church or youth and youth on Wednesday nights because that's, you know, that's, that's where they need to go. No, we do that because that's, that's where they can grow the most at that particular area of their time. But without them, matter of fact, I would say our children's ministry and our youth ministry is probably the most important aspect and most important ministry of this church. Because if you want to grow a church, 
And you want to see young people come to church. Young people want to see kids and youth in church. And so, I mean, seriously, just go and try to pick up a kid without a kid in your car. They have hotline numbers for that, right? But with kids here and with youth here, we can reach those kids and those youth and those families. So they're not just as important. I would say they're more important. Because when we get to adult age, we think we got it all figured out. We all are called to play a part. And the reality of God is God does not call the qualified. Rather, God qualifies the called. And I love this quote by Greg Laurie. God is not looking for ability as much as he is looking for availability. Let's just think about this for a second. A little interactive time. Let's name a few people from the Bible, individuals, not characters. I don't like the word characters when talk about people from the Bible because that makes it seem like it's fictional. These are individuals, historical people. Who are some people from the Bible? Oh, yeah, let's start there. I mean, we're going to, yeah, you got to start with Jesus, right? Joshua. Yeah, good, yeah, right, yeah, let's use our... Our visual cues. Peter. Peter. Thank you, Jesse. All right. I like that one. Gideon. Gideon. Which one? Just kidding. All of them. The whole family of James. Judas. I heard Paul in there. Joseph. We talking Old Testament Joseph or New Testament Joseph? Shut it, man. Shut it. Say big M for that one. Big M. Y'all know what we mean. Jude. Jude? Is that what I heard? Jude? Jehoshaphat. Jerk. All right, one more. David. All right. I'm going to put a little star by this one. That's the good... Outside of Jesus, all these individuals were unqualified to do what God called them to do. David was overlooked, even in his own family. Joshua, man, Joshua was scared to death about what laid ahead. If he wasn't scared to death, why did God have to tell him over and over and over and over and over over again? Be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be very strong and very courageous. Peter, what was Peter's problem? Oh, God, how many feet can I get in my mouth at once? I mean, (laughs) 
Rahab, I mean, she made the, the, the genealogy of Jesus, but Rahab's you know, social life was a little bit in question, right? Gideon? How many, how many signs can we get, God? How many signs would it take? James, well, depending on which James you're talking about, if he's James, the brother of John, he's the son of thunder, uh, who felt like, you know what, I should get to sit at Jesus' right hand, my brother at Jesus' left hand. If he's James, the half-brother of Jesus, then it took till after Jesus resurrected from the grave, even though he lived with Jesus, that he fully understood, wow, I guess he was the son of God. Mary. Well, Mary... This, this just the today, just the day of Mary was a woman. And yet Matthew and Luke make Mary one of the predominant figures in Jesus' life. What about Moses? The day junior, right? I mean, send someone else, God. I'm serious. I can't speak, God. I mean, he had all these questions and, and a really lack of faith. Matthew was a he was a tax collector, which was a backstabber, a traitor to the Jewish people, ultimately viewed as a traitor to God. Judas, well, duh, Judas. I mean, we just don't name our kids Judas anymore, right? Paul, what did Paul do? Yeah, I mean, he had to start going by Paul because Saul was known for something else, right? Joseph, whether you're Old Testament Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, you know, you brothers, you're all going to bow down before me. You're all going to worship, and, and you're going to just give me reverence. Little cocky little punk. No wonder his brothers hated him. You talk about Joseph, Jesus' dad. <laughs> he wanted to get out of this disagreement with Mary. Big M, G, Jason will tell you about him later. Uh, <clears throat> Elijah, doubted God. Everybody God uses is unqualified. Just drive on phone. Bree, would you shoot that up there? Think God can't use you? Think he only uses perfectly qualified people? Take a closer look. Moses was not a great speaker. Jonah ran from God. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Jeremiah was depressed a lot. Solomon was rich in wisdom, but poor in lifestyle. John the Baptist was just plain poor. Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. Lazarus was dead. Sarah was barren. Naomi was a widow. Gideon and Thomas both doubted, and so did Sarah. Peter lacked self-control. James and John were self-righteous. Paul had a short fuse. Well, so did Peter and Moses. 
Actually, lots of people did. God's army isn't perfect. It never has been. It's the march of the unqualified. Get in line. Turn back here to Joshua. The promise had already been solidified. The preparations had already been made. The plan was already in place. And the victory had already been proclaimed. And all this was God's doing. Yet God invited Joshua and the Israelites to be a part of it. And the same thing goes for us. The promise of salvation and forgiveness has already been solidified in Jesus Christ. The preparations have already been made for everyone's salvation. And the eternal home is being prepared at this moment for our eternal glorification. The plan was already in place before we were born. Matter of fact, it was in place since the beginning of time. The victory has already been proclaimed. And God has now saved us and invited us to be a part of His promise. So the challenge for us this morning is what part am I playing in God's promise? What part am I playing in God's promise? God may not be calling you to be a preacher, a teacher, or to go in some other country on mission. But He is calling you to be a part of His promise that all people would come to a saving knowledge of Him. And the beauty of this is God has given us everything for godliness already. So if you're wrestling with what part can I play and how am I gifted in this, I want to give you a website real quick. This is the last tool I'm going to give you. Can you throw that up there? I know it's really small. You may need to take a picture. You can take out your smartphone again if you want to. Uh, it's https uh, colon backslash backslash blog.lifeway.com backslash explore the Bible backslash downloads backslash spiritual dash gifts dash inventory backslash. Yeah, just rolls off your tongue. I mean, <clears throat> on this website, yeah, I'll, yeah, I don't want to run your picture, so I'll do it the other way. Um, on this website, you can go there, and it has a spiritual gift inventory that you can take. It's, it's kind of like a quiz, but don't worry, there's no, like, grade. You know, it doesn't get sent to me, and I'm like, oh, that's what's wrong with Darren. No, just, no. <laughs> I just see you back there looking all pretty. Um, it doesn't get sent to me. It gives you the things, and then it also has this thing where you can go and look, okay, say you did the spiritual gift of hospitality, but I want to know what in the world does that actually mean. It has a place where you can go and you can read about you know, passages of Scripture that, that kind of define what that spiritual gift is. There's other, uh, obviously other gifts. Um, and then how to incorporate that in the part of God's plan and part of His promise, uh, particularly in the body of Christ how God has already prepared you to be a part of what He wants to do through you in His church, in His bride. And then another way I want you to use this this week is I want to give you a tool that you can use not only for your, maybe your marriage or your relationship, but a tool you can use with your family. If you got teenagers, man, have them get on the computer, do this thing, and then you all can sit down as a Bible study and say, okay, <clears throat> what did you get? What did you get? What do you, what do you think that means? How can we, how, how should we be using that? Or how have we used that? 
Now, this isn't like, you know, if you did something, well, that must be what it is. It's a tool, okay? It's meant to point us in the right direction. But God wants to use you to be a part of his promise. And you may be here this morning because God has been using someone in your life. Maybe they invited you to church. Maybe they drug you to church. But they wanted you to know that God has a promise for your life. That God has created you for a relationship with you, but you, like them, have sin in your life. And you can't be good enough, you can't work enough, you can't go to church enough for that sin to be removed, but that sin is separating you from God. And unless that sin is taken care of, you will be eternally separated from God in a place the Bible defines as hell. And that person loved you too much to not, to, to not allow you to hear this real quick. God loves you. God sent his only son to die on the cross for you so that your sins could be completely forgiven. And Jesus died on the cross, but he rose again. And the Bible says, when I believe that God loves me that much, that doesn't mean I have to understand every aspect, every theological doctrine about it. That just means I understand, okay, I am a sinner and there's something in my life that's just not right. And the Bible says, it's because I'm trying to place my faith in all this stuff, but I need to place my faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins. And I believe that. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I believe that's the only way I can be forgiven. That's the only way I can be given eternal life. If you're here this morning, and that's something you've yet to make known publicly. The Bible says once I, I believe that in my heart, I have to publicly confess it with my mouth. I have to let me know, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. And that's what your friend, your loved one has brought you here this morning to hear. You are meant to be in a relationship with God. And if you aren't, that can change right now in this moment. I'm going to ask Jackson, the worship team, to come and lead us. If you need Jesus in your life, if you need forgiveness for your sins, just come down and say, Pastor Mac, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to know I belong to God. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that God has been calling you to be a part, but you've just been pushing it off and pushing it off because you, you keep coming with all these excuses on why you can't. Reality is God doesn't care about your qualifications. He qualifies you through his spirit. He wants your availability. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for everything you've given us, that we can be a part of what you have already seen. Forgive us those times where we just push it off and we don't get involved or we're not pursuing after you and we do all these other things and we just get distracted. Come this time on service, Lord, we just come and we just come to focus on you. Focus on a relationship with you. <coughs> Father, I pray for the individuals here this morning may not know you as the Lord and Savior. But your spirit would just stir in their hearts so much that they can't stay where they are, that they have to come down and let it be known they want you in their life. Well, Lord, thank you for the invitation. And thank you for empowering us to do what only you can do inviting us to be a part of it. Forgive me if I failed you in any way. Praise all in the name of Jesus. Let y'all stand.